When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Forza Napoli Cultural Podcast. This is a podcast all about Napoli, of course, but you don't have to be a Napoli fan to enjoy it. If you're a Serie A fan, if you're a football fan, looking for the inside scoop on all things Napoli, this is the place to be. I'm your host, Joe Fischetti. Thank you so, so much for listening. This is a transfer market special to get you set for the January transfer window. I know some of you hate this time of year because every team seems to be linked to just about every player out there. The key is to always remind yourself that these are just rumors and we never know the inner workings of the club, so you just have to take everything with a grain of salt. That's the approach that I take and I quite enjoy all the speculation. At the very least, it's an opportunity to learn about some players that I've never heard about before. So I have three parts for you today. In part one, I'll give you my thoughts on the whole Lorenzo Insigne situation. In part two, I'll give you a brief bio of a number of center backs that we've been linked to. As we know, that is definitely a position that needs reinforcement in January. And in part three, we'll talk about some potential options at fullback. So let's start with the big transfer story this week, which was that Lorenzo Insigne appears to be heading to Toronto FC in the MLS. It's not official yet, at least at the time of this recording, which is on Thursday, and probably won't be made official until January 1st, which is when the players in the final year of their contracts can sign with a new club. Some people are starting to doubt whether this deal will actually happen after the likes of Sebastian Jovinko and Matteo Mancozu have spoken to Italian media about their experiences playing in the MLS, but just about every transfer expert has reported on this story, and usually when that happens, it's because someone has intentionally leaked information to the media. In this case, the obvious perpetrator is Insigne's agent, Vincenzo Pizzacana. This was a huge story earlier this week. Everyone was talking about it, so surely that would have gotten the attention of Aurelio De Laurentiis. I'm sure Insigne and his camp are hoping that this hype will get the Napoli owner to increase his bid, but the way the negotiations have gone, I simply do not see that happening. Now, Insigne has been linked to TFC for a while, but this story really started picking up steam when Will Forms at Transfers MLS on Twitter reported on December 8th that Insigne was 75% likely to join Toronto. Then on the 23rd, he said there was a 95% chance of the transfer happening, but they were waiting to see if the club would let him go. Now, admittedly, I thought that made no sense because based on the notion that Napoli would have to let him go, I assumed Will was reporting a January transfer, and if that was the case, not knowing whether Napoli would let him go would suggest that there's less than a 95% chance of the move happening. Perhaps what he meant was that Insigne was going to Toronto regardless, and the only question that remained was whether he would go in January with Napoli releasing him or in the summer. Now, the reports are that Insigne would sign a five and a half year contract, which would suggest that a move would happen in the summer because the MLS season commences in late February. That could be for a number of reasons. For one, 
I'm going to give Insigne the benefit of the doubt and say that he wants to finish this current season with Napoli. Obviously, Napoli are competing for Champions League qualification first and foremost, but they're also competing for the Scudetto. Hopefully, with that weight of the contract negotiations off his shoulders, he can have a strong second half of the season and help Napoli achieve those goals. Now, whether or not Insigne wanted to leave in January, I don't think De Laurentiis would have allowed him to leave earlier either. Even though we would save about two and a quarter million euros in salary, Napoli are already losing Adam Unas to the Africa Cup of Nations. De Laurentiis definitely would not agree to an early exit after finding out Chucky Lozano tested positive for COVID while visiting family in Mexico for the holidays. And of course, above all else, Insigne is still our best winger, and De Laurentiis knows that he would only hurt our chances of achieving anything this season by letting Insigne go. The third reason could be that the two clubs were not able to agree on a transfer fee. Even if De Laurentiis was willing to part ways with Insigne early, I doubt he would have allowed him to leave for free. If TFC had to pay a transfer fee, they probably wouldn't have been able to offer Insigne such high wages, so I'm guessing they decided they could wait six months and give that money to Insigne instead of to Napoli. Speaking of which, the reports are that Insigne would make 11 million euros per season plus up to 4.5 million euros in bonuses. According to Fabrizio Romano, that's net salary, but that does not appear to be the case. That would imply that TFC are actually paying him close to 21 million euros a year, which does not sound right to me. That would have been a ridiculous amount of money for a soon-to-be 31-year-old to be paid. It's nearly double what I think any European club would be willing to pay him. Some people have come forward to point out that in North America we report gross wages while in Europe they report net, which is something I've actually been saying for months now, but that would still be a record signing for the MLS, so why is TFC willing to pay so much money? Let's start with a bit of background on the club. Toronto FC is owned by Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment, or MLSC for short, which is the same corporation that owns Toronto's NHL team, the Toronto Maple Leafs, Toronto's NBA team, the Toronto Raptors, and Toronto's Canadian Football League team, the Toronto Argonauts, as well as their youth teams. MLSC is worth about $1.5 billion, but it is owned by some of Canada's biggest companies. A company called Rogers and Bell Communications Inc. owns 75% of MLSE and the other 25% is owned by Kilmer Sports Inc. Rogers and Bell is a partnership between two of Canada's largest telecom companies. For those who don't know, five companies have an oligopoly on telecom in Canada. Bell is the largest with a market cap of about $46.5 billion, followed by Telus at $38 billion, Rogers at $30.5 billion, Shaw at 19 and Quebec are at 7 billion. So Rogers and Bell together have a combined market cap of about 77 billion dollars. The other 25% is owned by Kilmer Sports Inc., which is a holding company owned by Larry Tannenbaum, who is the chair of the board of directors of MLSE. Tannenbaum, who started out with a paving company, has been a key figure in the growth of Toronto sports in general and MLSE in particular. So we know MLSE has a huge financial backing. Owning Toronto's two biggest sports franchises, the Raptors and the Maple Leafs, they're quite comfortable spending money on players. Basketball players are amongst the highest paid athletes in the world because basketball teams have the smallest rosters out of the big leagues. You basically have five starters, five bench players, and a few guys who hardly ever play. On the Raptors, Pascal Siakam makes $33 million a year, followed by Fred Van Fleet and Goran Dragic, who are both at about $16.5 million, and Oji Ananobi and Gary Trent Jr. both make about $16 million per season. 
Hockey is the biggest sport in Canada, but in North America, it's well behind the NFL, Major League Baseball, and the NBA, so hockey players make comparatively less than their counterparts do in the other top leagues, but the Maple Leafs are one of the most lucrative franchises in the NHL and still have some fairly high-paid players. Austin Matthews makes $11.6 million a season, and both John Tavares and Mitch Marner make about $11 million. So we know TFC can afford to pay Insignia $11 million a season. The question then becomes, why are they willing to pay him so much to get him here? Well, first of all, they had to make it worth his while to leave Italy. As far as I can tell, Pizzicani was shopping Insignia around Europe to anyone who would listen, and nobody was biting. But the main reason is because the revenue potential for TFC is, I think, significantly larger than the revenue potential for Napoli on a renewal, and likely even for other European clubs. Let's start with ticket sales and prices. TFC play at BMO Field, which has a maximum capacity of 30,000 seats. Last season, TFC's average attendance was 13,783 people, which was the lowest in the history of the club. Now, of course, that's because of COVID restrictions that were in place for much of the season. TFC didn't even play at BMO Field for a large portion of last season. But given that TFC finished the 2021 season with 6 wins, 10 draws, and 18 losses, which was second worst in all of MLS... I suspect attendance would have been down even at full capacity. Now, Sebastian Jovinko played four seasons with TFC, and TFC had some of its best attendance numbers ever during those four seasons. Naturally, the best attendance was in the 2017 season when TFC won just about everything. They won the league, they won the MLS Cup, and they won the Canadian Championship. So I suspect TFC are anticipating an uptick in ticket sales with Insignia coming over, subject to COVID restrictions being reinstated. I know a number of Napoli fans in Toronto who have already purchased their season tickets. Likewise, in a full-capacity environment, that higher demand for tickets will drive the ticket prices up. When Jovinko joined TFC in 2015, the average ticket price was $32. By 2017, the average ticket price was $47. That's a nearly 50% increase in only two years. Then after Jovinko left, prices dropped back down to $38 per ticket. Now again, with COVID restrictions, that all changes. Last season, with COVID restrictions, the average ticket price was $58. But for argument's sake, let's assume that we don't go back to having COVID restrictions in place. Given the situation in Toronto and the way the government has handled COVID, we probably will go back, but ticket prices would adjust to make up the difference like they did last season. But without restrictions, I think we can safely assume average attendance of 25,000 people per game, of which I would say 3,000 would be a direct result of Insignia joining. I expect average ticket prices to be $48, which would represent a $10 increase over 2020 ticket prices. Let's also assume that the average spend per ticket holder on things like food and beverages and merchandise is $10. So if you do all the math, the Insignia signing would add up to approximately $7 million in incremental revenue, which is about $5.5 million US. That's obviously not enough to offset the 11 million euro gross salary, which is nearly 12.5 million US dollars, let alone any bonuses. So where does the rest come from? Without a doubt, MLSC is betting that Insignia will get TFC back into the playoffs. My conservative estimate for revenue generated from playoff games is about $2 million per game, and that only increases for every round you go deeper into the playoffs. Now, even though Insignia would cost $12.5 million, he wouldn't add $12.5 million to TFC's wage bill. That's because in MLS, you're only allowed three designated players, which for those of you who don't know, are players who are outside of the salary cap and you can pay them whatever you want to pay them. 
Toronto already have three designated players, Josie Altador, Alejandro Pozuelo, and Jefferson Soltero, so one of them would have to be released. Soltero seems the least likely to leave as he's under contract until 2025 and only makes about $2 million per season. Altador has only one year left, so TFC could buy out his contract while Pozuelo's contract expires at the end of the year. Even if he's renewed, they might be able to decrease his salary after a poor season, though Pozuelo was the league MVP the season prior. In any event, TFC will likely reduce their salary bill by a couple of million dollars as well by releasing one of those designated players. So if TFC make it to the second round or quarterfinals of the playoffs, they basically break even on Insignia, assuming of course they don't also bring in another player like Andrea Bellotti, who they are also linked to. That means any other revenue, most notably TV ratings and the associated advertising revenue, which is probably the largest revenue stream, is profit. But the important thing to note here is that none of these incremental revenue streams would be available to Napoli had they renewed Insignia. We wouldn't have sold more tickets, we wouldn't have been able to increase ticket prices, we wouldn't sell more merchandise, and TV ratings and advertising revenue would not change. Perhaps they'll go down a little bit without Insignia being here, but I suspect not by much. So that's a pretty long explanation for why I think TFC are willing to pay what they are offering to sign Insignia. Next, let's address why Insignia would, one, leave Napoli, and two, go play in the MLS. When it was reported that his salary was 11 million euros net, the obvious answer was that he was leaving for money. 11 million euros over five and a half seasons is 60 million euros guaranteed, which is more than he's earned in his entire career at Napoli. But if TFC's offer is 11 million gross, then money can't be the only reason. I suspect he's leaving as a matter of principle. You could argue that Insigne has been underpaid for many years with Napoli, not to mention the income all Napoli players forego by giving up their image rights to the club. Last season was the best season of his career, and then he followed it up with an excellent showing at the Euros. He started all but one match in the Euro Finals, which was the third match in the group stage after Italy won their first two. He scored the game-winning goal in the quarterfinals against Belgium, and of course Italy went on to win the tournament. To have that kind of year only to be offered a pay cut is an insult. He was the closest thing to a bandiera that we've seen probably since Francesco Totti. Now, a lot of people will vilify De Laurentiis, and I don't blame them. I think he's handled this entire situation really, really poorly. But from a purely business standpoint, I can also somewhat understand his position. At the start of the season, he said that Napoli's wage bill had gotten out of control and that he intends to bring it back down. Between Manolas and Insigne, Napoli will reduce its annual salary bill by about 8.5 million euros. Next on the list is Dries Mertens, and if he's not willing to take a pay cut, then he will likely follow Insigne out the door. All three of those players are at least 30 years old, and while Insigne still has plenty left to give, we've seen both his play and his health start to decline this season. It's also worth noting that wingers have a shorter longevity, especially wingers who run as much as Insigne does. Now, you could say we could transition Insigne to play as a number 10, especially if Mertens leaves, which wouldn't be as hard on his body. Our friend Don Mapuzzo made an excellent point on Twitter as well. Perhaps if Napoli beat Hellas Verona, or generally speaking, if we finished in the top four last season, then De Laurentiis offers Insigne a higher wage. I think that's quite likely. There would have been a lot more money at our disposal had we been playing in the Champions League instead of in the Europa League. What a lot of people are not talking about is the offer from Inter last summer, which was 6 million euros plus bonuses per season, 
for four seasons, plus Insignia would keep his image rights. Insignia didn't take that offer, likely because he couldn't stomach playing against Napoli, let alone representing a club from the north. But what that offer did is it set Insignia and Pizacana's salary expectations. Had Inter not made that offer, then perhaps Insignia would have renewed at around 4.5 or 5 million euros a season. Instead, both parties decided to wait, and frankly, for a good while, it looked like De Laurentiis might get his way. As I said, Insignia has not had a great season, and up until TFC showed up, offers from elsewhere simply did not come, at least as far as I'm aware. So, De Laurentiis' plan backfired, but in truth, I'm not sure it really did. If anything, this TFC offer has made De Laurentiis look like slightly less of a villain, not that he's ever had an issue playing that role anyway. The fact that other offers didn't really come is probably another reason why Insigne might have chosen Toronto. Now, some have suggested that he's choosing the Toronto lifestyle. It's well known that Jovinko loves Toronto, and I say loves in the present tense and not loved in the past tense because Jovinko still loves Toronto well after he left the club, and that's why he never sold his place there. I would argue that another attractive feature of playing in Toronto, at least at the beginning, is that soccer players are not that well known here. You can walk down the street and not be swarmed by fans like you would in Napoli, but I wonder if that's something Insigne even wants. We've seen him with the flashy outfits in the stands, so maybe he actually wants the attention and doesn't want to be not recognized. But even still, I did not expect this transfer to go through. I just couldn't imagine Insigne packing up his family and moving them from sunny Napoli to frigid Toronto. The last thing I'll say is that if this deal does go through, I will hold no hard feelings towards Lorenzo Insigne. He owes absolutely nothing to the club. Aside from a couple of loan spells early in his career, he spent his entire professional career with Napoli. He's fourth all-time in appearances for Napoli, both in the league and in all competitions. He's also fourth in goals scored in all competitions and only one goal behind his idol Diego Maradona. And for the past few seasons, he's worn the captain's armband. His biggest regret, I think, would be not having won the Scudetto. He's come close, but he hasn't gotten there. Though if he leaves at the end of this season instead of in January, then there's still one last opportunity for that. That will do for part one. In part two, we'll take a look at some of the players Napoli are linked to for the January Mercato. Welcome to part two of the Forza Napoli podcast. Next, let's take a look at some of the players that Napoli have been linked to heading into the winter transfer window, starting with the center backs. With the departure of Kostas Manolas and with Kalidou Koulibaly spending the first month of the calendar year at AFCON, the top priority this winter is a center back. One of the players we're linked to is Axel Twanzebe. Twanzebe was born in the Democratic Republic of Congo, but moved to England at a young age. He's a product of the Manchester United youth system, where he won two youth titles, as well as the Jimmy Murphy Young Player of the Year award and the Denzel Haroon Reserve Team Player of the Year. He made his professional debut for United's senior team in the FA Cup against Wigan Athletic in 2017. Jose Mourinho was the manager at the time, and after seeing him play against Wigan in a friendly, he said, 10 minutes is enough, the potential is there, you see it immediately. Unfortunately, he has yet to achieve that potential. He wasn't able to break into United's starting 11. As a result, United have loaned him to Aston Villa for three of the past four seasons, the first two while Villa were in the championship and then this season in the Premier League. The reason he's an attractive option for Napoli is because in addition to playing as a center back, he can also play at right back and even as a midfielder, 
which is the type of flexibility we are looking for. As is pretty much always the case, Napoli are looking for a loan with option to buy, which could be related to the liquidity ratio, but don't expect an Anguissa type loan. According to Jonathan Schrager, Villa paid £5 million to loan Twanzebe from United for a single season, so that gives you an idea of the loan fee that would be expected. Another player we've been linked to is Felix Urokai. He's another 24-year-old centre-back who currently plays for Augsburg in the German Bundesliga. Like Twanzebe, Urokai was born in Africa but played his youth football for the country he moved to. Twanzebe played for England's youth team while Urokai played for Germany's youth team over his native Nigeria. Urokai started his professional career with 1860 Munich but joined the Wolfsburg after Munich were relegated from the Bundesliga 2. He played for two seasons with Wolfsburg before they loaned him to Augsburg. He's now in his third season there. He wore the captain's armbands for the second and third matches of the season, but picked up a knock and then COVID, which have caused him to miss Augsburg's last 14 matches. The armband is a bit of a curse for him. He wore it twice last season, the second time being the fifth last game of the season. He picked up a yellow card in that match, so he was suspended for the next one, and then he suffered an ankle injury, which required surgery that caused him to miss the rest of the season. That concerns me a little bit, not only that he's already had two long-term injuries, but also that he hasn't played a competitive match since August 28th. On a more positive note, he is an absolute giant, standing at 6 feet 4 inches tall. According to Sport Media Set, Urukai would cost around 15 million euros. Speaking of giants, another player we are linked to is Fenerbahce's Attila Salai. He is also 6'4". Salai is a 23-year-old centre-back who worked his way around Europe. He started in his native Hungary with Rapid Vienne's youth team when he was only 14 years old and then made his first team debut in 2016 against Altak, which was his only appearance in the top flight that season. He then moved to Mezokovezdi, where he played for two seasons before playing two seasons with Apollon Limassol in the top flight in Cyprus. Finally, in January 2021, Salai signed a four and a half year contract with Fenerbahce, though relatively unknown, at least to me. Napoli could face some stiff competition for Salai. At the beginning of the month, Hungary's national team coach Marco Rossi was asked if any of his players were set to make big money moves, and he said, Clearly, he has been followed by important clubs in Spain, but apparently his move to Chelsea is a done deal. Fenerbahce were reportedly furious and immediately issued a statement denying that there had been any negotiations for their player. Milan are also supposedly linked to Salai as a potential replacement for the injured Simon Kier. I've seen different reports on the price tag, but it sounds to me like it would be in the neighborhood of 20 million euros, which seems to make sense given the level of competition. Staying at Fenerbahce, Sky Sports are reporting that Napoli are preparing an offer for South Korean centre-back Kim Min-jae, also known as the Monster. Min-jae played for three seasons in the Korean K-League, where he earned the honour of Korean Young Player of the Year in 2017. In January of 2019, Min-jae left Korea to play for Beijing Guan FC in the Chinese Super League. There, he played an integral role in Beijing's runner-up finish, but only a year later, Min-jae took to YouTube to express his dissatisfaction with his teammates' play. That's a bit of a red flag for me. I mean, I like a competitive player, I like leaders in the locker room, but we do not need any more off-the-field drama like that. Minjay is strong, quick, and flexible, and he's a modern center back in the sense that he is capable of joining the attack as well. He's excellent in the air, he's also good at reading the play, and he can play an accurate long ball. 
Minjay has a 9 million euro bio clause, but he's expected to cost closer to 20 million euros in the market. There's also a view that he will not accept a transfer to a club where he would not feature regularly in the starting 11. He knows that to perform well at the World Cup, he needs to play regularly, which suggests that he would not accept a move to Napoli. Sport media sets have also linked us to a number of other center backs. One is 23-year-old Colombian John Lukumi. Lukumi played for Deportivo Cali for three seasons in the top flight of Colombian football, the Categoria Primera A, before making the move to Europe. He spent the last three seasons playing for Genk in the Belgian Jupiler League. He's made 91 appearances for Genk since joining in 2018-19, and his minutes have steadily increased. He started all but two matches last season, and one was due to a suspension for yellow card accumulation. He played the full 90 minutes in all but two of those starts, and one of the two matches he didn't play the full 90, he still played 85 minutes. According to Serie A News, he's a physical defender who reads the play well. He has twice been named the best defender in the Jupiler League, and during his time at Genk, he's won the league, the Belgian Cup, and the Belgian Super Cup. Between his Colombian teammate David Ospina and Belgian Dries Mertens, Napoli could be an attractive destination for Lukumi. Genk paid only 2.5 million euros to purchase him from Cali, and he's currently valued at around 13 million euros. With his current contract expiring in 2023, Genk are well positioned to sell the young center back and to collect a healthy profit. The one concern with Lukumi is that during his time at Cali, he had two knee surgeries, but he's managed to stay healthy since he joined Genk. Another Colombian option is Everton's Jerry Mina. If you watched this summer's Copa America, you know that Jerry Mina is quite the character. Colombia defeated Uruguay in the quarterfinals in a penalty shootout. Mina took his sweet time to collect the ball and set up for his shot, and then he showboated in front of Fernando Muslera's face after converting the penalty. He took another penalty in Colombia's semifinal penalty shootout against Argentina. There were no fans in the stands, so you could hear the back and forth between Mina and Emiliano Martinez. That time, Mina didn't score and had to watch Martinez celebrate the save, which might have been his karma for how he celebrated his goal in the quarterfinals. Now, Mina plays his club football for Everton, who acquired the now 27-year-old from Barcelona in 2018, but it's been a rough ride for Mina at Merseyside. In the 2018-19 season, he missed 14 matches with a foot injury and 6 matches with a hamstring injury. In 2019-20, he missed 7 matches due to injury, 5 of which were due to muscle injuries. Then last season, he missed 5 matches with a calf problem and was in and out of the squad for the second half of the season. Finally, this season, he's already missed 13 matches, 11 of which were due to a thigh injury. That's enough for me to pass on Jerry Mina. We have enough injuries as it is at Napoli. The last thing we need to do is add an injury-prone player. Sport media sets have also provided a number of Italian options, but I won't spend too much time on them because, frankly, sport media sets are not terribly reliable. One is Hellas Verona's Nicolo Casale. The 6'3-inch, 23-year-old is currently on loan at Empoli. Another option at Empoli is their 19-year-old center back, Mattia Viti. He's also 6'4". And just to round out the Empoli center backs, media set have suggested a return of Sebastiano Luperto as an option as well. That just tells you how speculative media set is because there's no way we're going to pass up the transfer fee that we got for Luperto to bring him back. Finally, they've linked us to Frosinone's Federico Gatti, who's the same age and height as Casale. Staying in Italy, Sport Italia's Alfredo Pedula says that Napoli are looking at Roma's Federico Fazio as a potential replacement for Manolas. 
Unlike all the other options we've discussed so far, who are mostly young players who could potentially be groomed to become a starter when Koulibaly eventually moves on, Fazio is 34 years old. That means, like Juan Jesus, who of course also came from Roma, Fazio would be a short-term solution. I think Juan Jesus has played well enough for Napoli to feel comfortable with him as the third option behind Koulibaly and Rachmani. So Fazio would be the third option with Koulibaly at AFCON, and then the fourth option after that. He should be relatively inexpensive, having been frozen out of Roma's squad after rejecting multiple transfers in the summer. Like Jesus, he's familiar with Luciano Spalletti, who was in charge at Roma when they signed Fazio from Tottenham in 2016. According to John Solano of ASRomaPress.net, Spalletti is pushing to reunite with Fazio at Napoli. Meanwhile, Calcio Mercato are suggesting that Napoli are interested in another Roma center back in Marash Kumbula. He's another player that was previously linked to Napoli when he was playing with Hellas Verona. He ended up going to Roma and we ended up with his center back partner Amir Rachmani, which actually worked out pretty well for us. Kumbula played reasonably well in his first season under Fonseca, but was constantly in and out of the lineup. He missed a few games with COVID, then he missed games due to muscle fatigue, and near the end of the season, he tore the meniscus in his right knee while on international duty. Though he is now healthy, he does not appear to be an important part of Jose Mourinho's project. Kumbula has played more time in the Europa Conference League than he has in Serie A, where he's made seven appearances, but three of them were only one-minute cameos off the bench. If we played with a three-man back line, I would absolutely go after Kumbula, who played really well at Hellas Verona. But with a four-man back line, I'd be a little bit concerned. Now, you might say Rachmani also came from that system at Hellas Verona and he has transitioned well. Yes, that's true, but I was more comfortable with Rachmani knowing that he previously played in a four-man back line during his time at Dinamo Zagreb. Rounding out Serie A's targets is Torino's Gleason Bremer. He's the guy that most Serie A fans want to see join their club. The 24-year-old Brazilian is having his best season ever under Ivan Juric. Bremer played well even before Juric arrived, but with the defense-minded football that Juric plays, Bremer has only gotten better. Torino signed Bremer from Atletico Mineiro in 2018, and over the past few seasons, he's played his way into the starting eleven. Bremer will be a difficult player to sign though with Chelsea, Tottenham, and Milan all showing interest. He's also not likely to move in the winter. On Thursday, Torino's president Urbano Cairo said that Bremer will extend his contract with Torino shortly, but one day he will be able to cultivate his ambition and pick a team that plays in the Champions League. To me, that means Torino are going to extend his contract and look to sell him sometime in the future, perhaps even as soon as the summer. His current contract expires in 2023, so if he extends his contract even by a year or two, that will only drive the transfer fee up. Unfortunately, that all makes it less likely that he ends up wearing a Napoli shirt. Moving on, we've been linked to a couple of past targets in Malang Sar and Reynildo Mandava. I'll come back to Mandava in part 3 when we get to fullbacks, but let's quickly look at Malang Sar. The soon-to-be 23-year-old center back is slightly shorter than many of the other options, standing at exactly 6 feet tall. Sar is a product of the Nice Youth Academy in his native France. He spent 12 years in the academy before making his debut for the senior team at the age of 17. That means he joined the academy when he was only 5 years old. After 4 seasons and nearly 120 appearances for Nice, Sar was targeted by a number of clubs including Napoli with his Nice contract coming to an end. 
Unfortunately, we could not compete financially with Chelsea, who gave Sar a four-year contract worth £31.2 million, which is about £6.2 million per season. A month later, Chelsea loaned Sar to Porto, where he made 27 appearances in all competitions, but only eight appearances in the Liga Nosh. Sar seemed set to join newly promoted German club Greuther Firth on loan, but for some reason the loan deal collapsed on the final day of the summer transfer window. As a result, he stayed at Chelsea, where he has made only one appearance in the Premier League, playing the full 90 minutes in a 1-0 win over Brentford. He's also made three appearances in the EFL Cup, so he's certainly not playing much at the moment, and Chelsea seemed quite open to the idea of loaning him out. Foot Mercato have suggested a few other French centre-backs. One is Cedric Huntonji, who plays for newly promoted Clermont Foot. Huntonji has had a bit of an up-and-down career. He came through Rennes' youth system and played his way into the senior team, making 18 appearances in Liga in the 2013-14 season. Since then, he's bounced around various clubs in Ligue 2. In fact, he's played for four different Ligue 2 clubs, Châteauroux, Auxerre, Ojasio, and eventually Clermont. Before joining Claremont, he had brief stints in the MLS with New York City FC and in Bulgaria with Levski Sofia. But things are finally going well for him. He played an integral role in helping Claremont earn promotion to Liga last season. He played all but 100 minutes of Claremont's 38 league matches last season and continued to feature prominently for them in Liga this season. Unfortunately, he tore his adductor playing against Saint-Étienne in October and has been sidelined ever since. The other player Foot Mercato have put forward is Leon's Duye Kaletakar. The Croatian international started his professional career with HNK Sibenik in the Croatian top flight and has progressed nicely ever since. After half a season in the Polish second division, he moved to RB Salzburg, where he played for three and a half seasons. Kaletakar was part of the Salzburg team that reached the semi-finals of the Europa League in 2017-18. Salzburg beat Lareal, Borussia Dortmund, and Lazio to get to the semi-final that year, which is really impressive. Kaletakar impressed enough that Marseille purchased him from the Austrian club for 19 million euros and signed him to a five-year contract. Kaletakar has steadily improved at Marseille, playing 33 matches last season. He probably would have played more, but he seems to get cautioned quite frequently. He missed two matches due to suspension for yellow card accumulation and another two matches after a sending off against Montpellier. In February, Kaletakar admitted that he rejected an offer from Liverpool, who were reportedly offering Marseille £23 million. Liverpool were dealing with a bit of an injury crisis at centre-back at the time, but Kaletakar said that while he was honoured by the offer from such a big club, he still had progress to make at Marseille. He did say that we'll see what happens later, but I don't think he'll make a move mid-season. Marseille are currently sitting third in Ligue 1. PSG are running away with the Ligue 1 title, but there's quite the battle going on for the remaining two Champions League positions. Marseille and Nice are tied on 33 points, followed by Rennes on 31, Monaco on 26, and Nantes and Lille on 28 points. Rounding out the French targets is Sven Botman. I'm not going to spend too much time on the Lille defender simply because he is not a realistic target for January. Botman has caught the attention of numerous big clubs, including Newcastle United, who are reportedly preparing a £31 million for the 21-year-old. Of course, Newcastle now have deep pockets under their new ownership, which is basically Saudi Arabia. 
So if we have any hope of signing the 21-year-old Dutchman, it wouldn't be until the summer. I simply do not see De Laurentiis making a big splash in the winter without the certainty of finishing in the top four. If Napoli qualify for the Champions League, then Botman could become a realistic target. So those are some of the center back names that are floating around out there. I'm sure there are probably others that I've missed and yet more that will pop up over the next month or so. That will do for part two. In part three, we'll take a look at some of the options at fullback. Welcome to part three of the Forza Napoli podcast. Next, let's talk about some other players that we are linked to, starting with some fullbacks. Fortunately, we aren't linked to as many fullbacks as we are to centerbacks, so this part should not take as long as part two. Before I get to the available options, let me quickly explain why we might be shopping for a fullback now. Last summer, just about every Napoli fan alive wanted a new leftback to replace Mario Rui, but his agent Mario Giuffredi said that Mario Rui will play another season with Napoli to restore his value, and then they will look for another club. Now, things seem to be going as planned. Mario Rui has had a wonderful season so far, so the club is preparing to replace him, and for that reason, we're linked to a couple of players now. I wouldn't be shocked if we purchased Mario Rui's replacement now and then loaned him back to his current team for the balance of the season, like we did with Andrea Patania and Amir Rachmani. I mentioned Reynildo in part two, so let's start with him. Napoli showed strong interest in Reynildo last season, but we weren't willing to pay the 10 million euro transfer fee to buy the left back. That may seem like a low price, but at the time he had only one year remaining on his contract, which expires in June of 2022. Now we're at the midway point of the season, so naturally the reports are that Reynildo would cost 5 million euros to purchase in January, which is just half of that 10 million euro fee. All indications are that if Napoli are to sign the 27-year-old, it would not be until the summer anyhow. Perhaps we would sign a pre-contract with him, which is basically a contract you sign now, but it doesn't take effect until July 1st, much like what Lorenzo Insigne would sign with Toronto FC. Corriere dello Sport are reporting that Napoli have been in contact with Reynildo's agent, Manuel Tomas, but that the player would like to see out the season with Lille, who are expecting to have a mass exodus of talent in the summer. Even if we wanted to sign Reynildo now, it would be very difficult. First, 5 million euros is a lot of money for a player you can sign for free in 6 months time. Second, we'd only be able to register the player by first cutting someone else. That someone else would likely be Fauzi Goulam, who has played a total of only 14 minutes this season, but makes 2.5 million euros per season. So not only would we have to pay 5 million euros to bring Reynildo in, we'd also have to forego about one and a quarter million euros for Goulam. So that's like six and a quarter million euros to bring him in. I mentioned the salary reductions in part two. That's another two and a half million euros that would come off the books in the summer. Now, I guess it's not that much different whether we cut Goulam now and swallow the remaining cost of his salary or just pay him to sit on the bench. I mentioned Mario Rui. We still have him until the end of the season. And even if he gets hurt or contracts COVID, we know we have a few options. We can play either Juan Jesus or we can play Gulam there. Or we can move Di Lorenzo to the left and play Malqui on the right. Or we can switch to a three-man back line, which would be a lot easier if we sign one of the center backs we spoke about in part two. So while I think there's a strong possibility that we sign Reynildo, I don't think it would happen in the January window. Another fullback we've been linked to is Valencia's Thierry Correa. Now, unlike Reynildo, he is a player I could see us signing in January, and I don't think there would be any conflict with signing Correa now and Reynildo in the summer. 
With Mario Rui and Gulam both likely to depart, we actually need to sign two fullbacks. Personally, I think the only reason we haven't signed another left back in recent years is because of how much we are paying those two players currently. Reynildo and Correa are also 5 years apart, Correa is only 22 years old, so even if he starts out as a backup, we can groom him to eventually take over the starting position as both of those players get older. Correa can play on both sides as well so he would provide some additional depth at right back as well should it be required say if one of the Lorenzo or Malqui get hurt or if Malqui is not renewed in the summer which is also quite likely. Unfortunately, there is quite a bit of doubt about Correa. After a strong start to the season for Valencia, the Portuguese defender picked up a muscle injury that caused them to miss six matches. He returned for Valencia's match day 12 fixture against Villarreal and played for 18 minutes off the bench, but he aggravated something during that match and he walked into the tunnel crying in agony and he hasn't played ever since. I'll be checking to see if he plays against Espanyol on Friday because he is expected to be in the squad. The third fullback we are linked to is Tottenham's Lucas Digne, who's also drawn interest from Inter and Chelsea. Whenever I see a player linked to us and to an English club, especially a top English club like Chelsea, I don't really like our chances of signing the player. Chelsea will be without Ben Chilwell for the rest of the season, so they are in the market for reinforcements. Clubs have been reaching out to Everton as Digne has been frozen out by Rafa Benitez in recent weeks, including Inter, who appear to be the frontrunners. Inter and Everton have had direct contacts and could be closing in on a loan to Inter with the option to buy. Supposedly, Digne is happy with the idea of going to Milano as well. So again, it does not seem likely that he is destined for Napoli. So those are the fullbacks we're linked to. There's one other player I want to talk about who's not a fullback, and that's Florian Newhouse. Newhouse is a 24-year-old midfielder who currently plays for German side Borussia Mönchengladbach. Like Felix Urokai, he started out his career with 1860 Munich. In fact, the two were teammates in the 2016-17 season and happened to be represented by the same agent Christian Nerlinger. Newhouse was purchased by Gladbach in 2017 and loaned to Fortuna Dusseldorf, where he made 27 appearances for the Bundesliga 2 side. He scored 6 goals and added 3 assists that season, helping Dusseldorf earn a promotion back to the top flight. He then returned to Gladbach and has played there ever since, collecting over 100 caps in the process. He's been a very durable player for Gladbach, missing only 2 matches in his first season and only 4 matches in his second. But according to Sports Build, relations between Newhouse and Gladbach manager Adi Hutter have gotten so bad that the German international is considering leaving Gladbach this winter. So those are the players that have been rumored to potentially be joining Napoli in the winter, or in some cases in the summer. There aren't really any rumors about players departing the club. Obviously with the injuries and with players going to AFCON, our squad is thin enough as it is. We can't really afford to lose any more players. We already lost Manolas to Olympiacos and of course at the beginning of the season Spalletti said he doesn't need any players just don't sell any of the players that we have so De Laurentiis has stayed pretty true to that he's definitely shown his moral support for Spalletti. The only rumor I've seen regarding outbound players is the possibility that Alex Meret could be leaving the club and that Lazio are interested now. I saw a bunch of aggregator sites referencing a Gazzetta dello Sport article with the headline that Meret has rejected a renewal. I tried to look up the Gazzetta article and all I found was one about a number of contracts that are coming up for renewal, but there was nothing in the article that said Meret rejected an offer. What it said was that Meret wants clarity on his role, which is not really a secret. At his age, of course, he wants to be a starter. 
David Ospina's contract is also coming up for renewal. In fact, a decision on Ospina needs to be made first because he expires in 2022 and Meret expires in 2023. And that decision on Ospina will probably dictate what happens with Meret. If Ospina is renewed, then I think Meret will want to leave and Napoli will want to sell him before they lose him for free. So perhaps Napoli would sell Meret to Lazio, but that will not happen until this summer. We simply do not have enough depth at keeper at the moment, and we certainly don't want to buy a keeper at inflated prices in the winter. Maybe we buy a new backup in the summer, or we recall Contini, or we promote Idasic from the Primavera, but Meret will have to stay at least until the end of this season. So that will do for this transfer special episode. Hopefully that sets you up for January and gives you a bit of background on some of the names that we are linked to. I'll probably provide an update mid-January and if there's enough activity, which I doubt there will be, I'll provide an assessment at the end of the month. Don't forget, with games being played during the window, the targets can sometimes change, say for instance if someone gets hurt, but hopefully that does not happen. We'll have to keep an eye on that whole situation. Before I let you go, I just posted our Napolitan song of the week. This week we're featuring 99 Poses, Cure Cure Gualio, featuring Mama Marias and Alborosia. By the way, if you're into Napolitan reggae, check out Mama Marias. She's really, really good. Speaking of Napolitan reggae, the bass player of 99 Pose, Massimo Jovine, is the brother of famous Napolitan reggae singer Valerio Jovine, who simply goes by Jovine. And then, of course, the lead singer is Luca Persico, also known as Ozulu. He's collaborated with pretty much every Napolitan musician around. I could probably do an entire podcast on Novantanova Pose, but that is where I will leave it. I hope you enjoyed the episode. If you did, please share it with a friend and leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform. If you listen on Spotify, they recently added the ability to rate podcasts, so please do so if that's where you get your podcasts. As always, if you need to get a hold of me, you can find me on Twitter at Joe underscore Fischetti5, or you can find the podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Forza Napoli Pod. I'll be back in the new year to preview our big match against Juventus, but until then, a very happy new year to you all from me, Joe Fischetti, and Forza Napoli sempre. Podcast Network.